following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Am I working? I'm working, okay. Um, do you ever wonder, how did I get here? That's a good question, too. Yeah. How did I get here? I don't have an answer, just a question. <clears throat> the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, how grateful we are that you are our shepherd. We pray, Lord, now that you would feed us on your word. That your spirit would speak. We'd hear your voice. And you would change our hearts. We love you, Father. Lead us. In Jesus' name. Amen. That psalm, perhaps you've heard it before, Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, has brought comfort to millions, mostly at funerals, I think. I think it's read at, at every funeral, at least every funeral that I perform. And the beautiful thought there in that psalm, that Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep, watching out for us and caring for us, leading and guiding us right where he wants us to go. So when you're thinking, how did I get here? It's because Jesus brought you here. Amen. Well, Psalm 23 is not the only place where Jesus is portrayed as a shepherd. He is uh, shown in his parable in Matthew 18:12 and Luke 15:4. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And when he finds it, I say to you truly, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine that never went astray. It seems in our day, lately, being called a sheep is an insult. Blindly following and not thinking for yourself. I say that's not an insult 
if you're following the right shepherd. 1 Peter 4 and Hebrews 13, 20 both refer to Jesus as the great shepherd. Ephesians 4.11 says that Jesus gave some to be poimen didaskalos. Everybody knows that one. Shepherd teachers. Shepherds and teachers. We call them pastors. Jesus under shepherds. Shepherding and sheep is a big deal to the Lord. It's a powerful picture, and it's a good one, not a bad one. Well, we're picking up our study in Mark 14, right after Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Jesus and his disciples had celebrated the Passover together in an upper room that some scholars believe belonged to the father of John Mark, the author of this gospel. Uh, just speculation, but. And after singing a hymn, which would have been uh, found in Psalm 113 to 118, that's the hymn, um, Jesus led the disciples across the darkness of the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives. This would have been around midnight that night, and it's on this walk through the night, through the valley, that we pick up in Mark 14, 27 through 31, and that's page 851 in the Pew Bibles. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. So here again, Jesus applies the title of shepherd to himself. And he quotes Zechariah 13.7. And that says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Uh, Do you see any difference between Zechariah and what Jesus says? His quotation is, Jesus, get it wrong. Does he misquote Zechariah? Well, for you English nerds, and I can think of one, maybe there's more. Jesus changed uh, the verb. The verb is to strike. He changes it from the imperative to the indicative. You all picked up on that, right? It was obvious. He's, he changes it from strike the shepherd to I will strike the shepherd. I will strike. It is the Lord of hosts himself that will strike the shepherd. And the sheep will scatter. 
This is important. Because it's not the devil who strikes the shepherd. It's not the Sanhedrin that strikes the shepherd. It's not the Romans that strike the shepherd. It's the Lord of hosts himself. God, the Father, will strike the shepherd, Jesus, pouring out his wrath on him for us. Now, I don't know if the disciples uh, knew their Old Testament well enough to notice the difference, but I'm sure that Jesus did. This was no accident. You can't explain this away and say, well, he said it in Greek and it was written in Hebrew, and, you know, and uh, whatever. No. The point is, Jesus' death was not a surprise to him. It was the plan from the beginning. As was his desertion by his friends. Strike the shepherd. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus knew what was coming. But even here in our short text this morning, Jesus reminds his disciples that he will not be stricken for long. Verse 28 says, But after I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. Jesus' role as the great shepherd would continue after his death and resurrection. And he promised to meet them back where it all started, in the backwoods of Galilee. Unfortunately, this uh, promise from the great shepherd to his sheep fell on ears like sheep have. Stupid. Deaf ears. They, they were not listened. They missed a part about being raised up after being stricken. They only heard the part about strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. Not, no, no. Up steps Peter, leader of the idiots. Peter says to them, even though they all fall away, I will not. <laughs> well, you ever stop and think about this statement of Peter? Even though the rest of these guys are not strong enough, we all know which ones are the worst. Right, Jesus? You and me. They're not loyal enough. They're not courageous enough to stand with you. I will. I'm strong enough. I'll stay strong. I will not fall away. Sheep are stupid. We know Peter was not courageous in this statement. He was thoughtless. He didn't think about what was coming. He didn't know. How could he? Well, maybe because Jesus told him. Peter foolishly boasted because he was not wise enough to carefully examine himself. This is hubris. This is pride. This is wrong. He overestimated the strength of his will and the strength of his character, which Jesus responds to in verse 30. Truly, I tell you, this is how you know Jesus is serious. Not just the words are in red in your Bible. Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto thee, right? 
Listen, this is true. I tell you the truth, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will, you will deny me three times. But he said, Peter said emphatically, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And everybody else said the same thing. Peter claimed that his loyalty was greater than the rest. But in truth, his failure was greater than the rest. Jesus predicted that they would all desert him. The sheep will scatter. What would Peter do? He would deny him. He would disown him. Not just run away and hide, but deny that he knew him at all. Not just once, but three times. And that night, in your flannel graph memory, does this happen at night? When you think about the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus being arrested, is it nighttime in your mind? Well, you're just more imaginative than me because... The background of the flannel graph was bright blue, so it's all happened during the day. Jesus predicted that Peter would disown him three times that night. That sometimes in the next four or so hours. This is after midnight that this is happening. When when do roosters crow? Whenever they want. But usually right before the sun comes up, right? And this is already after midnight. The clock is ticking. Now, since we have the added benefit of perspective, we're standing back. We can read this whole account. We can read the whole story. We can consider this moment from afar. So in our perspective, from our perspective, I guess, what should have Peter's response been? Jesus says, uh, you will all fall away. And their response was, no, 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 no. And Peter's, no, no maybe them, but not me, right? What, what should they have said? Lord, no, how, help us. We don't want to do that. Don't let us do that. <laughs> Ask God for help? Maybe? Not say, no, no, no. Why should... Why should I ask you for help? I can't take care of it myself. Right? How dumb are they? Because, you know, we have all this gained experience and perspective. Because we don't ever do that. Right? We can handle it. Hmm. John Calvin wrote, Believers ought indeed to be prepared for the contest in such a manner that entertaining no doubt or uncertainty about the result and the victory they may resist fear, for trembling and excessive anxiety of marks are marks of distrust. But on the other hand, they ought to guard against that stupidity which shakes off all anxiety and fills their minds with pride and extinguishes the desire to pray. This middle course between two faulty extremes is very beautifully expressed by Paul when he enjoins us. To work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it is God that works in us to will and to do. That's the middle ground. Instead of counting on the Lord to help him 
and avoid denying him instead of asking him for help in the trial. In his stupidity and pride, he flat out told Jesus, no, you're wrong. Yeah, you've never tried that before, have you? And there's no way they would ever deny Jesus, even to death, even if he had to die with him. And all the disciples chimed in and said the same. Now, as we have seen in our text, that it was the will of God to strike Jesus, the shepherd. We know that his death means salvation for us. The opportunity for salvation for the world. But that does not free Peter nor the disciples from bearing responsibility for their own actions and attitudes. So because we're good at this, we can list their failures, right? Point them out one by one. Count your failures, name them one by one, right? We can see foolishness, pride. We can see they thought more of themselves than they thought of Jesus. They said, no, Lord, look, we get it. You're son of God and everything, but we're not going to let these things happen that you're saying. They trusted their own ideas, their own plans over Jesus. They trusted their own plan over the fathers. They are all idiots. But the Lord has proven time and time again, though the, uh, through the disciples and through me, that being an idiot is not an insurmountable problem. But they also didn't have the Holy Spirit. And that's the point. Not having the Holy Spirit for them also not an insurmountable problem. It's not a problem that lasted for these men. All we have to do is skip ahead to the first few chapters of the book of Acts that picks up at Jesus' ascension. And they're all gathered in one place and the Holy Spirit comes on them and rests on them as tongues of fire. And they start preaching the good news in languages they did not know, native languages to other people in the city. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how the Lord solves the problem. That's how the Lord solves the sin problem in the world. He takes care of it himself. That's how the Lord solves the idiot problem in the world. He takes care of it himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's that solution I think we need to focus on. That's the point, the one point to this sermon. Peter and the other disciples at this point in the story did not have the Holy Spirit living in them. They had the advantage of being face to face with Jesus, yes. But to see what they did with that advantage, say, no, you're wrong. They did not have the hope, the help of the Holy Spirit to help them overcome their weaknesses. I guess if you want to be more polite, you can say it that way, to overcome their weaknesses. And this is a weak point in Peter's life. This is a weak point in his testimony. 
His pride and his arrogance blinded him to the will of the Lord. Jesus said, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. You will all fall away. But Peter foolishly boasted of his own strength, which we will see failed him miserably. Now, I can't say what I would do if I were in his shoes. It probably would have been a lot worse. But in, the, in truth, we are all in those shoes all the time. Peter and the disciples didn't have the faith to trust Jesus when things didn't go according to their plan. When has anything gone according to our plan? The difference between us and them in this moment is that by faith in Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit to guide and direct and empower us. Don't forget the empower part. We can't do good on our own. We can't do good apart from the help of the Lord to the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28 says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. 1 John 4:13-15 says by this we know that we are that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be savior of the world whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of god god abides in him and he in god Romans chapter 8 verses 9 through 11 You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Where Peter failed, we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can succeed. Where he foolishly boasted of his strength, we can trust the Lord in our weakness. I will read to you my favorite verse in the whole of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 10, 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. 
But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. May every hardship, along with every victory, every twist in the road, along with every straightaway, teach us, even force us, to rely on the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, forgive us. Forgive me. For I often forget what a great gift you have given to me, given to your church, that you would dwell within us to guide and empower. Father, forgive us for letting our trust in you falter, for acting like Peter, boasting in our own strength and courage and loyalty. And insulting you by doing so. Forgive us, Lord, when we trust ourselves more than you. Father, may your spirit well up within each one of us. That we would not be able to ignore your presence within us. Soften our hearts, Lord. Remove that heart of stone. Give us the heart of flesh. We may be attentive and attuned to your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your word. For speaking to us this morning through it. We praise your glorious name. Amen. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.